Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Welcome to the program, everyone. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. It's National Poetry Month, and my special guest is one of my favorite emerging poets. His name is Austin Davis. Hello, Austin. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me, my friend. (laughs) I am so glad that you're here to share from your new book, Lotus and the Apocalypse. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I am so honored to be here, and it's always just such a fun time talking with you, my friend. (laughs) All right. Let's begin this journey, okay? This is National Poetry Month, my friend. Why do you believe it's important that we celebrate who we are as poets? You know, I have always firmly believed in the power of art to not only connect us, but help us heal and grow collectively as a community. And in writing this book and in traveling and meeting people, you know, sharing my work and hearing the work of others, I've, I've found this to be so incredibly true in, in many different ways. You know, it, I think that, that poetry is just such this, this beautiful tool to share various perspectives, change our, each other's minds, you know, and show that we're all a little more connected than we might think, even when we're feeling so alone, you know. So I firmly believe in the, in the beautiful power of poetry. Fantastic, fantastic. Let's focus for a second on Lotus and the Apocalypse. What inspired your new book, my friend? Yeah, so, you know, during the, the first year of the pandemic, that's really when I first started writing these poems. It was a very difficult time for me and my mental health. I, I have OCD and Tourette's and depression. And during the first year of the pandemic, it got really rough for me. I, I kind of felt like I was climbing this mountain with my mental health. And I mm. knew that if I kept climbing, you know, I, I'd eventually find a place where I could rest. Um, but I guess I, I just kind of felt like I got too exhausted with it all. Um, so for, for a little bit there, I, I felt like I kind of let go. I, I felt like I wasn't really taking care of myself. I felt like I was self-medicating and just kind of falling down this path that I didn't want to go on. And then I started writing these poems that were brutally honest, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that was a little different for me because usually in the past when I was writing poetry, it started in this place of honesty, and then I built this story around it. But with yes. these poems... I really just put it all out there. Even when it, it made me uncomfortable to talk about, I kind of, I felt like I needed to push through that discomfort and mm. it, it helped, you know, it worked and it helped me, I guess, grab a rock and, and keep climbing. So <laughs> mm. I like that. I like that. Tell me about the title, Lotus and the Apocalypse. It's so striking. Tell me about the Thank title. You. Thank you. Yeah. So th- this book is a poetry novella that tells the story of, the last day on earth um, as this character Lotus tries to figure out what the point of life is before the end of the day. So before it's too Mm. late. And for me, you know, when I was thinking of this character in my head, the, the Lotus flower was such a striking image for me. And I think that, you know, historically the Lotus flower is the symbol for purity. And in my mind, 
in my mind, the purest form of purity is being completely honest with yourself and the people around you, the people that you love, you know, about your faults, your fears, mm-hmm. your vulnerabilities, so that you can grow and heal and so that we can grow and heal collectively as well. And that's kind of where the, the name came from, I guess. And that's kind of where that, that character uh, arrived. You know, it's funny. Some years ago, I heard from a person from a Buddhist perspective, and she shared that without mud, there is no lotus. So you've got mm. to go through something. You've yeah, got to go yeah. through something to have something. Yes. Yes, my friend. So without further ado, please share from your new book. All right. This first poem I'm going to read, uh, I'll read the first, first poem from the collection. This poem is called The World Will End Tonight, and it's the first poem that I wrote from this book. And it's actually the, the first poem that I've ever written um, where I didn't edit it at all. I all wrote right. this poem, yeah, I wrote this poem after having a panic attack uh, pretty early on in the pandemic um, because I, I, I was living with my, my girlfriend at the time and my mom and dad who were older than me, you know, and, and my brother and sister who were pretty young. And we didn't know much about the, you know, about the virus. And I, I got really sick. And, you know, for me, my anxiety, it starts in this place of reality and then it spirals out, you know, and it makes everything feel catastrophic. And it was these, mm. these weird feelings, you know, of, of guilt and remorse because, you know, I, as, as we talked about, I think a while back, you know, I, I run this homeless outreach program. So, you yes. know, I was, out, I was out on the streets every single day during the pandemic, you know, or during the first part too, even when people were quarantining because I was bringing, you know, those experiencing homelessness essential items. So I was exposed to a lot of people. And so it was like this, these weird feelings of guilt and shame of trying to do the right thing for your community, but still ending up hurting those that you love, you know, and, and that, those all kind of work together to form this, this short, little, uh, short little poem. This one's called The World Will End Tonight. The world will end tonight, the weatherman says, when the flower heads twist down at a quarter past six. Remember that summer of hot breath, open windows, and making love to the sound of bicycles passing by. Kiss me soft as the clouds peel away from the sun like dark yellow apple skins. Let me hold you, run my hands through your hair these last few minutes. Thank you. Oh, wow. Let me run my hands through your hair these last few minutes. That's a powerful line. Thank you. Thank you. Very powerful line. Yeah. You know, I think that for me, you know, it, it, the, 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 the pandemic and, and, and the isolation and loneliness, you know, it added to my mental mm-hmm. health issues. But for me, at least, you know, when, when I'm in a, a really bad place with my OCD, you know, mm-hmm. OCD for me is, is all about fear. You know, it's all about your brain yes. saying this is, this is something that's really bad. And if you don't do this compulsion, if you don't do this thing, this terrible thing that you're really afraid of is going to happen. And mm-hmm. honestly, it feels like the world is ending every time that you know, your, your brain gets to that place because you just, you physically can't function, you know? So that, that's really where this book was born out of. It was, it was born out of wanting to survive and keep going, but not knowing how, you know? Please share another poem. Yeah. This next poem, uh, this one's called Lotus and Depression. Lotus and Depression. Last night, as I was driving to your apartment, 
I threw up whatever the hell was in my stomach all over the steering wheel and hit a feral cat. I named her Pythagoras and dug her a grave with my car keys next to a patch of purple wildflowers by the highway. It scared me that I drove away and didn't cry. What's the difference between a handful of benzos and you holding my face in your hands and assuring me I'll be okay? Do you ever feel like an amoeba in a drop of water on Mars when I'm struggling to keep my eyes open and you notice how much weight I've lost? I keep thinking I'll step out of this rough patch eventually, but the grass has grown so high I can feel it brush along my lips. You don't like how bony my shoulders are, but we still touch each other sometimes with the lights off. Thank you. Oh, wow. Wow. One more, Austin, one more poem, because it helps me learn more about you, my friend. Share yeah, one more. Definitely. Well, here, this is one of the uh, the least sad poems from the book. <laughs> so okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> this, one, uh, this one's called Lotus and Love. We meet up in the library parking lot every night after you get off work at the drugstore. We lie on the roof of my van and stare up at the sky. You call the stars cosmic freckles and tell me that our biology teacher from high school buys glow-in-the-dark condoms and that the V on the middle of a Valium pill looks like a little heart that wants more than anything to become a circle. I nod and laugh and think about how we're both going to die some night in our sleep and we'll never see it coming. The leaves have no idea they're going to fall. The fish have no idea they're going to be eaten by an unhappy family around a big oak table. And you have no idea that getting to hear about your day for 32 and a half minutes every night is what makes me okay with waking up in the morning. I suppose this is the way living has always been. You think you're happy until you meet that person who makes you notice every ache in your chest. Maybe we should drive my van into the book deposit bin and steal all the books our consciences can carry. Maybe we should make out or make love or make up some story about a little home in the mountains with art on the walls, a pineapple pizza cooking in the oven, and 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins playing on a ham radio in the kitchen. In my mind, you're pulling into the driveway in the same car you're driving tonight, about to lie with me by the fireplace on a rug of pink and yellow orchids. Tell me all about the last 10 hours of your existence and make me feel like the man who cried into the clouds during a solar eclipse and did not go blind. Thank you. Wow. You know, for me, as I listen to your work, you write older than you are. How old do you feel, my friend? How old do you feel? Oh, man. It's all that, you had to go through. Question. Yeah, you know, over the last couple of years, I, I feel like I've, I've really just kind of had to grow up more, more so than I wanted to, just because, um, you know, a lot of the work that I do, uh, I, you know, you, you, you get put in some, some pretty difficult situations sometimes, you know, like, I, yes. I've seen people, I've seen people die, you know, I've reversed, I reverse overdoses all the time, you know, I, I've had guns pointed at me, you know, I've had knives to my back, you know, so I, I've been in all these situations where you really just kind of have to act 
and you have to learn to just kind of trust your gut in a lot of situations and, and try to do what's best for the people you're trying to serve, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 22 years old and yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly the age that I feel, but I, I feel, I feel old, older than 22. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I understand. And, and I picked that up. I really, really do. You know, your poetry to me, based on our time together now and when we first met some time ago, I first heard you, it's about emotion. It's about emotion. Here's my question to you. Do you think someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Yeah, you know, I, I think that poetry doesn't have a firm definition, at least not for me. You know, I, okay. I've, been teaching, I've been teaching a lot of classes at high schools and libraries for kids and teens. And a lot of, you know, about how to use poetry as this tool for your mental health. And mm. from what I've seen, you know, there's a lot of kids and a lot of teens who have all these, these ideas of what poetry should be, you know, and it's because we were exposed to these, these really old, dead, white male poets, you know, in school. Yes. And, and a lot of people just don't connect with that nowadays. And that's totally understandable, in my opinion. You know, I think that there's a lot of really beautiful poetry being written today by women, people of color, young people that we should, you know, expose kids to in school. But, you know, what I like to tell kids is, you know, you can learn all these tools of how to write poetry, all, all these various forms. But to me, you know, it, it really just comes from memory and experience mm-hmm. and story. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, emotion definitely can play a big part in it. But I think that, you know, that there's a lot of different things that can inspire a poet. For me, it definitely is emotion. It's having these very strong feelings that I need to get out, you know, but Mm -hmm. I've met Mm -hmm. people who, you know, don't often express themselves or express these emotions, but when they're, you know, when they have the time to sit and think about a memory or a trauma or something from the past, then it comes back. So I guess kind of to circle back to your question, you know, I think that in my opinion, you know, the best poetry or the poetry that I connect with best, you know, is rooted in a place of emotion. But, you know, I, I don't like to put any, any labels or boundaries on people's work. I say just create, mm-hmm. you know, make what you want to mm-hmm. make, share it. You know, there's something really beautiful about getting these thoughts, these feelings, whatever, out of your head onto something tangible, you know, that you can hold in mm-hmm. your hands. You can light it on fire, you know, or you can hand it to, some, you can hand it to someone else, you know. And it's, it's like putting, putting that power back in yourself, back in your life about, you know, whatever you're going through. When oftentimes, you know life feels so uncertain and it feels like we don't have a lot of control over the, the way the wave is going to take us, you know? And I, I feel like poetry for me is trying to, I guess, re- reclaim a little bit of that control, at least for a moment. You know, let's continue with this theme of emotions and feelings. And here's what I'm going to ask you. Does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? No, I mean, for me, when I was writing this book, it was uncomfortable. It didn't hurt, you know, but there were moments, okay. you know, there, there are parts in this book where I'm, I'm pretty honest about things I'm afraid of, you know, or faults about myself, mm-hmm. you know, or things mm-hmm. that I, I, you know, I, I, I don't really talk about, you know, and, but when I was writing this, I was thinking, you know, how am I going to heal myself or help others, you know, feel a little less alone in what they're going through if I'm not honest about this stuff. And with me, this, this whole book is about, you know, creating this thing where other people who are feeling lonely or going through mental health struggles or whatever might be able to find a little bit of comfort or solace in this. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the most beautiful things about writing and something, you know, this is what, why I fell in love with writing when I was a kid was it feels like magic. It feels like magic to be able to Mm -hmm. read something that someone wrote 
you know, 300 miles away, 50 years ago or whatever, you know, and feel this, this hug between time and space, you know, and, and I guess that's the goal for me, but, but there's something that was really liberating too. After I wrote this, you know, you push through the discomfort and you get to a place of better understanding about your mind and your, you know, your life and your place in this world. And I think that that's something that I, I really learned in writing this book that I didn't fully understand beforehand that, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're feeling these, these feelings of discomfort or whatever, it doesn't mean you should stop writing. It means, you know, maybe just push through and see, see what happens when you get to the other side. Oh, wow. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Awesome. my friend <laughs> oh man very high praise such an honor you know yeah, yes oh, making me feel all sentimental here in the morning you know? <laughs> oh, 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 oh please share another poem <laughs> i definitely will i definitely will my friend here let me here i'll read this one this one is called lotus and the meteors and Lotus and the Apocalypse is broken up into two acts, um, and I, I'm a big uh, music nerd, and I wanted to kind of structure this book like an album, um, so I split it up into two different sides, kind of like a record, you know, so there's an interlude between the two parts, and this poem is called Lotus and the Meteors, and it's the first poem in the second act. Meteors are falling, but I don't think meteors are really falling. Fish swim through the sky. White bones licked clean drop slow, like clouds that have seen some real shit and have hardened over time. Our home has vanished from the neighborhood. All that's left is a brick patio with lawn chairs, a few cigarette butts beside ashes. There's probably a little moss green house with teddy bear drapes pulled across the windows posted up on Mars. The TV is still on. The dog is peeing all over the carpet. And I'm sorry, but I left the stove on on purpose. Thank you. Yeah, that one's kind what of about, is the, you know, those... those well, I was going to ask you... <laughs> I was going to here. I was going to ask you, what is the purpose of that poem? Yeah, you know, the, the, the beginning of it is meteors are falling, but I don't think meteors are really falling. And for me, mm. that's oftentimes how my OCD feels. It feels like something really terrible is happening. You know, like the world is ending. It feels like these meteors are falling, but they're not actually. It's all, you know, your, your brain trying to convince you that something bad is happening. 
So that poem mm-hmm. is all about OCD for me, but it's also about, you know, those fears and, you know, trying to fight that OCD, but then mm-hmm. getting kind of too hard and just kind of self-destructing, you know? So it's about having, you know, this, this internal catastrophe or whatever with your mental health, doing what you can to try to fight it. And then just saying, you know, I'm leaving the stove on, you know, fuck it. You know, um, yes, that, that, yes. It's, it's, a, it's a shorter poem, but it's, it's, a, it's a dark one, you know? Yes. Tell me about the cover of your book in terms of the process for coming up with it. Oh yeah. So the artist, his name is Cody Sexton and he runs a press called anxiety press. Uh, the book's published by our outcast press, by the way, which is just, such an incredible publisher they are, are incredible and i i am so blessed to have worked with them but cody he is incredible as well really what happened was um we were just kind of chatting you know he's he's friends with sebastian who runs uh, outcast press and we were all just kind of talking and i had this idea for this character with a lotus flower as a head tipping back in a chair and that's kind of all i said mm. I, I i just kind of wrote these notes and i was like i have this vision in my head I can't really make art. <laughs> I don't know how to do mm-hmm. it. And he, and he was like, oh, man, I got this, you know. And so I sent him my notes, and then he, he created this just really beautiful piece of artwork, like way, way more cool, you know, and, and just it, it was like taking the image I had in my head and enhancing it and making it something that I, I didn't even know that I wanted. That's how good it is, you know. So he is such an incredible mm-hmm. artist, and the whole team at Outcast is really amazing, too. We had uh, – Natalie and Paige, you know, they, they worked with me and Sebastian on this book. And there's, there's just some incredible, you know, formatting in this book. They, they included these little illustrations throughout the collection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, the, the font is just great. And I just, I, I love the way the book came together because I, I think that, you know, the, the way a book is put together is also a kind of art, you know, the way that it feels mm-hmm. in your hands and the way that, you know, the pages turn that, that all adds to the, the feeling. And there's, there's just something that I love so much about holding a book in your hands and, and reading it, you know, in, in the flesh, I guess. <laughs> well, hold that book in your hands right now and share that. Yeah. All right. I'll read this one. This is the, the last poem that I wrote in this book. It's not the last in the collection, but it's, it's one of the last. Um, and when I was kind of, at my breaking point with my mental health, I, I got in a pretty bad car accident. Um, and it, mm. it could have been, it could have been really, really bad. You know, I, I was for a while, I was answering calls in the middle of the night from people experiencing homelessness who were in danger, you know, because off, okay. oftentimes, you know, those in the streets, they, you know, you, you don't want to call the cops because, you know, oftentimes you're going to be criminalized, you know, and mm. if you call an ambulance, if you don't have insurance, you're going to get bankrupt, you know, <laughs> Yes. So I, yes, I was, so true. I, yeah, yeah. So I would leave my phone on all night, and I would answer calls. I would go out, you know, and pick them, pick women up if they were being assaulted, or I would break up fights, or reverse overdoses, or whatever, you know. But it got to the point where it just wasn't sustainable, and I mm-hmm. got in a car accident really late at night. And then I, I wrote this poem about this this kind of fear of, oh man, this could have killed me, you know, like that. So looking back on it, like, man, that, that could have been really, really bad. And I just got really, really lucky, you know. All right. um, it, it's called Lotus in the Crash. I send the tire from some guy's Jeep spinning into the freeway. Glass rains over my head 
and burns like snow. I see my breath. He looks like West, the dick from high school who stole a pair of handcuffs from his dad's police belt and threw me into the dumpster behind the cafeteria like end-of-the-week meat one night in summer. Tonight, Wes, who isn't Wes, breaks my nose like the airbag should have. He wipes blood from my face and smears it on my lips like makeup. I see flowers, flowers between his teeth, flowers in the broken glass sparkling up the freeway, flowers in the flames. The apocalypse is here. Worms fly from a fire hydrant. The tattoos on Wes's neck peel off his skin and launch at me. A trimmer tears the city in half, and a blue station wagon shoots off the bridge. No one seems to notice the clouds falling from the sky. Covered in soot, I break into my parents' house through the window. I crawl into bed between them. Mom flips over on her side. A tree taps at the window, and I think of how my dad used to tell me that during a bad storm, either the branch will break or the wind will stop, and the wind will always stop eventually, so the tree just has to hold together until morning. I look up at the fan and imagine all the stars and planets, the endless silence on the other side of the ceiling. I speak a prayer, and someone says, bless you, in their sleep. Thank you. Oh, wow. You know, what I like about your work is that it's so real. I could picture it. Thank you. Accessibility. Yeah, one, one thing for me is, you know, I, I, I've been performing for a really long time, and I, I really fell in love mm-hmm. with the act of, of performing. And I guess yes. for me, you know, w- w- when I'm performing my poems, I, I want each line, each image to be so striking that, you know, someone listening can, can hear it, can feel it, can see it, but it mm-hmm. leads into the next mm-hmm. image in a, in, a, in a way that feels cohesive, you know? So I, I want it to feel, you know, like, like you're engaged on every syllable, you know, that's kind of the goal for me. And it, it's, it's actually like really, really a fun game to try to try to figure out how to do that, you know? And um, mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of feel like oftentimes poetry is, you know, creating the puzzle pieces and then finding a way to put them together in the right way. Um, so it's, it's all this like this re- really fun puzzle game for me, I guess. <laughs> you know, you probably shared on your first visit to my show an early moment where you learned that poetry had power. I'd like yeah. you to go back again and, and share with us just your thoughts on that, an early moment in your life where you first felt that poetry had power. Oh, yeah. I mean, over and over again throughout my life, many moments. But I, I think when I was a kid, one of the defining moments was when I started to have, you know, these compulsions. I, I got diagnosed with OCD, and I started to have these weird intrusive thoughts, you know, and I, I didn't understand them. And my friends didn't really get it, you know, because it, it felt weird and different. And I, I felt awkward and scared to share them with people because I thought, you know, oh, that this, is, this is something that's wrong with me. You know, what, what, what am I doing? You know, what's, what's wrong? Thankfully, my, my mom is a psychologist. She's a child psychologist. Mm. So I, I often like mm-hmm. to joke that, you know, she's Dr. Mom, you know. So she really taught me a lot of, a lot of tools growing up how to, you know, deal with my mental health and, and use cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, you know, as, as a positive tool. But when I was a kid, poetry was, was a really defining moment when I, when I found these, these new contemporary poets who were writing about fear and they were writing about OCD and mental health and anxiety 
and I felt, I felt comforted, I guess. And I felt like I found community, even though I'd never met these people, you know, I was reading these poems mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh my God, you know, th- this person gets it, you know, or, Oh man, if, if, if this woman, this guy, this person, they, they've been through this, you know, and, and gotten through and wrote about it, then hell I can too, you know? And, and that's really mm-hmm. why I started writing is I, I wanted to try to use my writing, you know, to, to, to help people in the way that writing, it helps myself as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people in terms of writing, here's the question. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? You know, I, it's weird. I, I kind of just hmm. feel it in my gut when a poem is done. And okay. what I usually do is I'll, I'll write a first draft. And then I'll wait a couple of days and then I'll read it again. I'll edit if need be, you know, I'll put it away. I'll read it again. And when I can read the poem front to back, you know, over and over again, and each word feels perfect, kind of just in my gut, you know, I, I'm like, that mm-hmm. poem's done. It's done. You know, mm-hmm. and there are some poems, um, you know, that, that I wrote when I was a kid or when I was younger that I, I see places where, you know, I, I went kind of easy on myself or I, 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 I could improve on it today, but I don't really concern myself with those poems. You know, I, the, the way I kind of think about it is, you know, once, once the poem's out there, yeah, it is kind of this living, breathing thing, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's also alive, and I should let that poem have its own life, you know? So I, I, I mm-hmm. just move on to the next piece, and I, I kind of just let that poem live its, live its own life, I guess. I think it's, it's funny. I, I think I, I was on your show probably when I was – I think I was in high school, wasn't I? It, it was, it no, was like I think you, had started, you started at uh, the University of Arizona. Are you at University of Arizona or Arizona State? Which one? Yeah, yeah, I go to ASU. Maybe it was my freshman year yes. of college. Yes. Yeah, I think it was my freshman mm-hmm. year. So, so I, I was I was eighteen. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's crazy. Yeah, because I'm about to graduate now. I'm twenty two now. That it feels like a lifetime ago, really. You know, but it's only been a couple of years. It really yeah. does. Yeah. For me, anyway, it truly is a well, lifetime ago. Yeah. Well, it's it's just so funny because I'm I'm such a different person now than I was then. You know, yes. I, I feel like I've I've grown up in a, in a lot of different ways, you know, right, right now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting in my, my apartment right now. I just moved into this new place. This is the first time I've lived on my own. You know, it's like a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of changes, man, a lot, a lot of changes, but mm-hmm. it's, it's good. It's really good. Well, let's talk about that. What surprises you most about being a poet? Let's see. You know, for a while, I, I wouldn't really describe myself as a poet. I was just kind of saying, I, I'm a guy who likes to make things, you know, <laughs> And I think one of the mm-hmm. most surprising things that um, I've found recently is that, that I've felt more comfortable trying to create different things. You know, for a while I was just writing poems, but last night, for example, I wrote and recorded a song, you know, it, it, was, mm. like, it's a, yeah, it was like this spoken word song. Um, and I wrote, recorded it, uh, you know, edited it, and I, I put it on YouTube last night, you know, and I, I was just, Usually, you know, in the past, if I had made something like that so quickly, I would let it sit, I would edit it, I would plan it out. But I was like, you know, I, life's too short. I'm just going to make what I want to make when I feel inspired, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. whether it's a painting or a poem or a song, you know, and I'm just going to put it out there and, and yeah, take it every one day at a time. You know, I, I'm not a very musically inclined guy, but it, it was really in fun mm-hmm. to you know, try to express yourself in, in that different way. So the, the song that I wrote last night, it's, it's just this story about one night. And this 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 guy going through kind of a uh, 
a crisis, you know, and it, I think it kind of pairs well with Lotus and the Apocalypse. So it was fun. It's called Tuesday Night, and it's it's out on YouTube. So yeah. <laughs> how how can we find it on YouTube? I can I can send you the link if you if you'd like. Let send me, me the link, and know, I'll put it out there. I'll yeah. put it in your bio. If you look up Austin Davis Tuesday Night, you know you probably find it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I can send you the link though. Here's a strange question for you. Hmm. <laughs> oh, I give you possibly a strange <laughs> Do poems change color in certain lights? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I read a poem of mine or even a poem that I like that I've connected with from the past, you know, what, what's really beautiful for me about these poems is that, you know, I feel like the meaning changes as I change, you know. So, right. you know, there, there, there have been poems that I've read Ten years ago or five years ago or whatever that I, I liked on, on one level, you know, and then I read them now after going through different things and experiencing different things, you know, and I, I see it in a whole different way. And I think that that's really cool. You know, there's 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 these whole worlds to unpack in poems. You know, and I think that that's one mm. of my favorite things about it is that, you know, e- even in such a small container such a small, you know, box, you know, even these, the longer poems in my book, for example, are only maybe like three pages, you know, I feel like mm-hmm. there are these whole worlds to explore. And even if the poem is short, you can read them over and over again and find, you know, new crevices to climb into, you know, new trees to climb. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's really, that's really wonderful, you know. Please share another poem. Yeah. All right, this poem is called Lotus and Insomnia. I don't remember the last time I slept through the night. I'm so exhausted, my bones feel like soldiers who shot themselves in war and were sent home to their families. When it's late, I walk and do drugs and end up somewhere new. Tonight, I'm at a park in a sleepy neighborhood, and I miss my mom, and I hate myself. I puke all over a dead bush. I could wipe it up with the greasy McDonald's napkins in my back pocket, but I don't. The sky is clear, the moon a purple brown. I'm not sure what that means, but if I've learned one thing in this life, anything can feel like a metaphor if you're scared enough. Wow. Here's yeah, a that, philosophical that question. That was another talk to me, talk to me. Right there, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful. Here's the philosophical question. Is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? I think that for me, it's definitely, you know, letting your guard down from yourself in a way. You know, I I feel like I often try to build these walls up around, you know, what I'm really feeling as a a coping mechanism, you know, because oftentimes there's there's a lot of bad thoughts, you know, or there's a lot of fear or whatever. And, and it's a, it's a survival tactic, you know, it's a coping mechanism to put these walls up or to not think about it, to distract yourself. Distracting yourself is mm-hmm. a big one for me, you know, whether that's with work or school or whatever, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like writing a poem is breaking down that wall and replacing it, you know, with, with something more comfortable, I guess, you know, it's mm-hmm. l- letting yourself accept that those thoughts, those feelings are there but also realizing that, you know, you can let it go, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you know, acknowledge them as thoughts, but not as reality. Mm-hmm. 
You know, as you think about your poetry, my friend, if you were a poet doing a different era, when, where would you want to exist? Ooh, when would I want to exist? Let's see. You know, I, I, I think that the beat movement would be really a really cool time to be alive. You know, mm-hmm. just, I don't know, Tell just me as more. a poet, just as a poet. I don't know. I, I really like the idea of, you know, just traveling, getting in a van, driving around, performing poems. And that's kind of what I, I try and trying to been doing, you know, um, but, but I, I've been interested with, with that era for a little while, but, you know, even farther back, if say I went back to the early 1900s or 1800s, you know, I think just from a historical point of view, it would be really interesting to, you know, kind of just analyze the way people write and create from those times in comparison to today, you know, because without, you know, the advent of the modern technology we have, I feel like creating would be, would be a very different experience maybe, you know, if you have to mm-hmm. only write it on paper or if you have to have a typewriter, if you need a candle, you know, if you need electricity and you don't have it, you know, I feel like all those barriers maybe could add to the poem in some way. I, I don't know. I, I think just as, as an observer, you know, it, it would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, poetry is about art and craft. And this is what I want to know. How do you, how do your poems develop? Please, if you can, guide us through the stages of a poem. Yeah. Usually I, I write the heart of the poem first and I build the body around it. So usually I, I feel obsessed with an image. I get this image or this line stuck in my head. So for, for example, the last poem, um, the, what, what I was obsessed with was anything can feel like a metaphor if you're scared enough. Just kind of that, that line, I wrote that down first. And even though that was the end of the poem, I feel like it's in some way the, the punchline of the poem or the heart of it. Mm. Um, and from there, I, I just kind of started to pull from my memory, pull from what I was going through that day, you know, and, and create this little tiny story, you know, to go with it. But yeah, I think I, I build, I, I built the heart first and then the, the body around it. And I think that's kind of the same with how I write a book. You know, I, I write mm-hmm. the heart of the book first and then, you know, the arms and the legs and the head and all, the body, everything comes after, I guess. Wow. Well, please share from your heart again with another poem. Thank you. Thank you. This one's called Lotus and Another Day. At the grocery store, the cashier doesn't ask how my day is going. He stares behind me at the long glass window and bags my beer. I don't ask how he's doing either. This morning, my little sister brought a photo of our family at the beach to her class for show and tell. Dad is mid-sneeze. My sister is shaking sand from her hair. My brother and I stand on our tiptoes, fighting over who's taller. Mom smiles. In class, the kids pass the pictures around in a circle, holding them close to their little faces, smudging us with with their fingers. I'm sorry I keep changing the subject. The sky is falling more and more each day, and I'm afraid of what will happen when I reach to touch the clouds and only grab air. Thank you. Mm. Wow. Just want to let that settle for a minute. Yeah. I need to, I need to take it in. Please share another. Definitely. This poem is, this one's called Lotus and Fear. And it's one of the older poems from this book. Um, and it originally started as, as a poem called Happy Birthday. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I, I added it to the book and edited it and kind of fit it to, to fit this story. So this one's called Lotus and Seal. There's a yellow balloon, the color of autumn after snow, bouncing around my chest. I often mistake its rhythm for my heartbeat. So trust me, I know I can't be trusted. Let's play a party game where we have to take turns telling each other about all our fears and mistakes and take a shot each time we wish we had a time machine. We'll be blackout drunk before the guests start ringing our doorbell. Last night, I broke into my old elementary school and left a coffee mug full of wet dirt and seeds in the janitor's closet to see if it's possible for a flower to grow tall and bright under the glow of a light bulb on a string. I've always thought of happiness as being tangible, the most brilliant mango hanging from the highest branch. But if we can't even find the forest, how are we supposed to climb the tree? Each day numbs me into dismissiveness until my lips are purple from wine and I'm sitting on the patio watching the rain darken the red brick tiles around my feet. Fill my lungs with hot breath and we'll blow out the candles together. Sing that familiar tune. Learn how to pop without a sound. Thank you. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram, and I'm here with one of my favorite poets, Austin Davis. Hello, hello. You, <laughs> <laughs> you work with populations that many people shun. They yeah. don't want to think about them, that they don't exist. They're invisible. You're finding the visible in the invisible. Now, what I want to know from you, as you think about poetry, how privileged is poetry? Do you think it's available to the masses or is only for a chosen few? You know, I think that creating art in general, you know, is a privilege. Um, oftentimes, you know, taking the homeless population, for example, you know, when, yes. when you're struggling to survive day to day, when you've got to figure out what food you're going to have, when you've got to figure out water, when it's 115 degrees outside here in Arizona and you've got to figure out how not to die on a sidewalk, you know, even mm-hmm. if you want to create mm-hmm. something, you don't have the time often, you know. So one, one big part of our project is we provide people with art supplies and musical instruments. And, you know, <laughs> every week we have a weekly event for the homeless where we serve a five-course meal, provide people with smartphones, harm reduction items like clean needles, you know, clothing, shoes, musical instruments, art supplies, all these various resources 
we, we aim to provide this safe space where people can come have their needs met for a little bit, take a breath and just relax and be with people who care about them and love them, you know? So oftentimes the, the feed is today, actually it's in four four hours, you know? So mm-hmm. oftentimes at these feeds, after people eat, you know, I see people, you know, painting or writing a poem or playing, you know, a song that they're making on a guitar. We're actually bringing a, a friend of mine named, named Big Man. That's his name. He's a really cool drummer and guitarist and we, we got him a guitar. So bringing that to him today, he's going to be really happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's a, it's a privilege for me to be able to have the time, you know, in the space uh, to be able to create, you know, and that's one of our goals with our project too, is to, help people, you know, express themselves in that way. But at the heart of it, you know, our, my, my goal on the streets, you know, it's a movement of love and it's about showing, yes. you know, those, those experiencing homelessness that they are loved, you know, they have a friend and they have people on their side who care about them, you know, because I firmly believe that loneliness is the silent killer for people experiencing homelessness. And I've had many people tell me that they didn't kill themselves because they knew they had a friend or they had something to look mm. forward to, or they knew that they had someone who cared about them, you know, and, and yes. along with all the, you know, the services we provide, the resources at the heart of it, I think that is one of the most important things you can provide another person. And I, I tell people, you know, all the time in your day-to-day life, even if you don't have any money to give, any resources, any water, you know, saying hi to someone on the streets or giving them a smile or just not being, you know, mean is, is really important. Oftentimes people tell me that flying a sign, you know, on the side of the street is a full-time job because people will pull up and mm-hmm. laugh at people. They'll, they'll laugh at you, you know, or they'll throw pennies at you or they'll record you mm. or they'll, they'll look away from you with disgust or, you know, if they, they see on the sidewalk, they'll walk around you or go the other way, you know, and, and it's dehumanizing, it's degrading, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. that, that's one of our, mm-hmm. our goals of the project is to just try to, you know, not only break down those stigmas, but, you know, show people that they're loved. So, you know, with my last project before Lotus, I, I made a jazz poetry album. I don't know if I told you wow. about that. I th- I no, I didn't. I did. Yeah. No. So no. it's called a, it's called Street Sorrows, and I made it with uh, my friend Joe, Joe Alley. He's a really cool musician. It's three songs, mm-hmm. and e- all three, each song is about a specific person and experience on the streets. Um, and the goal with that project was to try to, you know, break down these stigmas around homelessness, um, mm-hmm. because people were people were asking me, you know, people were saying poetry, you know, feels like this act of love. Can you write me a poem? You know, so mm-hmm. I was writing, I was writing these poems about people and also as a way to, you know, kind of cope and, you know, move through and process, you know, these experiences I was having out there. Um, and it kind of just turned into this little jazz poetry album. And uh, that, it, that, that was a really cool experience making it. You know, it's funny. A couple of years ago, I developed a program for the homeless population or unhoused population, and it was titled Finding the Visible in the Invisible. And what we mm. focused on was, was primarily revisiting the five senses, because sometimes when you live a life that sometimes you don't feel is worth living, you forget that you have all these wonderful senses to, to, to help you process the world. Yeah. And, um, that was very powerful. I learned a lot. I really learned a lot. I really, really did. That's wonderful. So yeah, when, you, yeah. when you think about your writing, what do you hope readers get from encountering your work? You know, I hope that someone reads it and, you know, maybe feels a little bit of hope that whatever they're going through, you know, will pass. Or I hope someone mm-hmm. will read it and, and say, oh, man, you know, 
I, I don't know exactly what this guy's going through and he doesn't know exactly what I'm going through, you know, but we can find, you know, a moment of peace and understanding in, you know, in this space. That's kind of the goal with me mm-hmm. for poetry, for whatever I'm creating, you know, because life is as, as hard as it is, you know, and I, I think that, you know, we should all try to look out for each other in whatever ways we can, you know, whether it's holding the door for someone at the grocery store, you know, or saying mm-hmm. hi to someone at the gas station or, you know, calling someone you love at night and checking on them or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's those little mm-hmm. things that make people feel loved and seen and heard. And I guess overall the goal for me is to create connection through catharsis with, with poetry. Oh, wow. Catharsis. Wow. Yeah. Connection you know, through the, catharsis. The, Oh, I like that. I like, I'm going to steal that one. I like yeah. that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's all yours, my friend. It's all yours. <laughs> okay, I, I probably will steal it. Uh, hey, hey. You know. Hey, you. Yep. <laughs> okay. The world has changed so much, my friend, in terms of technology. Yep. You know, I shared with my dad that I host a podcast on the computer, and he said, a podcast? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> right, right. And I said, it's, it's beamed out through the Internet. The Internet, he's 83 years old. The Internet. I was yeah. like, yes. <laughs> it was funny. So, so yeah. to you, my friend, <laughs> here you are, a young buck. <laughs> and we first reconnected on Twitter. This is my question. Do the internet and social media contribute to the well-being of poetry? You know, that's a really interesting question because I think that, you know, if you're talking on the, on the broader scale, you know, I think that the internet in, in many ways, you know, is detrimental to our collective mental health, I think. But at the oh, same wow. time, it's, it's, I, I think so, you know, especially for, for mm-hmm. young people. I know for myself, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to get addicted, you know, to social media and, to the internet, you know, but it's also this really incredible, beautiful tool for sharing knowledge and, you know, sharing your perspective and learning, you know, it's, it's really a beautiful thing that we can go onto YouTube right now and learn pretty much whatever we want to learn about history, math, science, literature, you know, that's incredible, you know, and I think it's also this really amazing space for art and poetry and music to flourish, you know, because you can create something and share it with the world. And that in itself mm-hmm. is another is uh, that's another type of magic, I think, you know, but I think that there's there's downfalls to it as well. And for me, you know, I, I think it's it's about navigating that because there's there's a certain power that comes with, you know, the internet. And I think that learning, you know, to use it as a tool and as a space for connecting and love and also, you know, actively working to live in the moment and be with those that you, you love, you know, be in the present, all that is just things that I, I guess I had to kind of work on and, 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 and learn as I, as I grew up, you know? So I think that it, it definitely mm-hmm. is a beautiful tool, but you know, that nothing is a hundred percent good or bad. I think, you know, yes. in, in this scenario, I think that it's, you know, there, there are gray areas, you know, and everything's complicated. <laughs> My motto, you know, over the last couple of years um, is everything happens all the time. <laughs> And oh, I, I, I like I stole, that. I, I, yeah, I think I stole that from somewhere. I don't know where. But it's just, <laughs> There's a lot of stealing just, going on around here. <laughs> I know, I, I know. But it's, 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 it's in a way, you know, it's it's not mm-hmm. exactly a happy motto. You know, everything happens all the time, but it's it's nice in a way to realize that okay, yeah, there's a lot going on, you know, and I might not understand it all, and sometimes it feels overwhelming, yes. but but I'm keeping yes, it going, it you know, and I'm taking it one yes. thing at a time 
one day at a time, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's all going to be all right. Well, you know, I'd like you to share another poem. Find another one. I will read, uh, I'll read the last poems from the book. There, there are a few poems okay. in the book um, located in different sections that are, that are told in the third person instead of the first person. And this is okay. the, the, the last poem, and it's told in the third person, and it's called Lotus and Lost. If you point your telescope up on this clear summer night, you might be able to spot Lotus. He's probably too small to see from your backyard, but hey, you could tell your kids that any one of those airplanes could be him falling back to Earth. Right about now, Lotus is swimming through nothingness like he has been for longer than he knows. Back in the rocket on Mars, Captain is smoking his fourth cigarette and banging his fist against the table over and over again. The crew is shuffling away to the edge of the little kitchen as their coffee mugs bounce up and down. On Earth, mission control is in a code red. Every telescope from New York to LA is focused on finding their stick of hay in a pile of needles. Unfortunately for NASA, a little college newspaper caught word about Lotus. Within an hour, every news station in the country was talking about this poor boy from Prairie Creek on their evening broadcast. Every kid with a pair of binoculars is straining out their window right about now, scanning the sky until bedtime. When you're hurtling through space, slower than Mrs. Huckles rides her electric scooter to the supermarket, you have a lot to think about. For a while, Lotus screamed. He screamed and screamed, flailing about for God knows how long. Lotus thought of his mother giving him a hug on Thanksgiving, drinking beer with his friends on the roof, the children and wife he never met. Lotus cried. He cried so long, the blackness began to look like a cape. He thought he might be able to grab in his hands and pull away to unveil autumn in his little town where everything would be okay again. Mm. Lotus thought about movie theaters, wind chimes, school buses, and making love. He thought about being a kid and spending his summers trying to touch the bottom of Wilson's Lake but never having enough breath. He thought about biting into a peach, falling off a bike, being so tired you pass out on the couch with the TV still on, and how bodies don't decompose in space. Lotus will be 21 years, four months, and 18 days old until the sun explodes. He couldn't wipe his eyes in his spacesuit and helmet, so the tears dried on his cheeks. Maybe Lotus will be found by a time-traveling orangutan or a teenage alien who ran away from their planet in the angstiest possible way. (laughs) Or maybe he wouldn't be found. Maybe that would be just as well. Lotus closed his eyes and saw nothing but the color of wind. Thank you. Wow. You know, you've written two books, right? Am I correct? Yeah. I, you know, I, I wrote a couple books, you know, they were published when I, when I was in high school and early on, but, um, the, the last two ones, the world isn't the size of our neighborhood anymore. And yes, Lotus, you know, I, I, I felt like one. those were, yeah, I felt like those were my, my, the first kind of cohesive books, you know, where I, I had an idea for uh, a, a book, a collection, you know, a story and I, mm-hmm. I wrote it, you mm-hmm. know, but before that, I, in my senior year of high school, I wrote a book called cloudy days, still nights that was published by Moran press, which is an amazing publisher. Stephen Moran is such a, such a cool guy. 
Um, and, mm-hmm. and it was it, it was it wasn't really cohesive. It was really just kind of my first, you know, chance, my first um, idea, you know, of, of like making a book. So it, it was just kind of a lot of poems about being a high school student in love. You know, that's that's kind of what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- this is this is I think the 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 best thing I've made. You know, and I'm I'm, I'm proud of it, and, and I'm hoping that you know. Um, some people can find uh, a space to heal, you know, or a space to feel comforted in it, you know. You know, you shared with me prior to the show that you travel the country in terms of presenting your work on stage. How yeah. important is it to you to take part in poetry readings and other live events? And the second part of this question, do you share your poems with anyone before you decide that they're completely finished? Yeah, well, you know, for me, touring and performing, you know, is, is such such a fun thing, you know, and it's also just so important, I think, to to poetry, you know, it, it's it's really beautiful and really important to, you know, share the, the, the art of poetry, you know, and your words and your experiences with with as many people as possible, I think, you know, and, and I've had mm-hmm. such a fun time. I, I traveled, I've toured around Arizona, and then I went to the Midwest, that's where all my family lives in Indiana. So mm-hmm. I, I, I went, I went to Cleveland first and had one of the best shows I've ever, I've ever had, you know, packed mm-hmm. show with some really great friends and just, it, it was really great. And people came up to me after the show, you know, and, and various shows throughout the tour. And they were saying, you know, that this, this, this is what I'm going through, you know, and you saying what you're going through has helped me, you know, feel, you know, comfortable talking to you about it. And it was like these, these little therapy sessions after and during each show. And I, and that mm-hmm. was just really eye-opening for me. Um, but, yeah, then I went to Indiana, and I, I stayed at my, my granddad's farm, and I got to see all my family. Mm-hmm. And I just, got back <laughs> from New, New, I, got, I just got back from New Jersey. And um, it, it, it's been really fun, you know, just traveling around. And I, I do share my poems um, with some of my friends sometimes, you know. I'll, sometimes I'll, I'll write a poem and just, like, post it on Instagram or Twitter, you know, that night just because I, I just kind of had the feeling for it. I was like, you know, this poem is a – is not one that I'm, I'm going to work on later. It's just something I want to get out there. But I kind of just, you know, listen to my, my, my body and my gut, you know, with the poem. And if it's something that I, I want to sit with, you know, I won't share it for a little bit. But sometimes I'll share mm-hmm. it with my close friends and my parents or, you know, wh- whoever I kind of – whoever wants to read it, really. You know, I, I'm not very, mm-hmm. very secretive with my work. I, I kind of just like to share it with whoever wants to read it, you know. All right. You know, we've reached the end of our journey, my friend. Thank you I've got so a much couple more things I'd like to ask you. That's Wait, I'm not through yet. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're not done. What I want to know <laughs> is where can listeners find your work? Where can listeners find your work? Yeah, yeah. So Lotus and the Apocalypse, it's, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. So, if, you know, if you look up Lotus and the Apocalypse on Google, you'll, you'll find a link. It's on Amazon as well. Mm-hmm. And um, some some local bookstores throughout the country. I, I, I've been leaving books in random places during my tour. So I, I left, <laughs> I, yeah, like I left books on like park benches and in restaurants and I, I gave mm. books to Uber drivers and, you know, in seat backs on planes. So if anyone finds those books, yeah, just for fun. Um, but my, mm-hmm. my Instagram is at Austin W Davis one Twitter is Austin underscore Davis 17. So yeah, you know, if, Anyone reads the book and they like it, reach out, let me know, and uh, yeah. <laughs> well, finally, what is in the works for you next? I know graduation I, is in the works, 
Yeah, I, next week is finals week for me. <laughs> oh. So I, I got to get through, yeah, I got to get through finals, uh, and then I graduate college, which is kind of crazy. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm this summers are, are really really busy, you know, because it's all kind of focused on heat relief for me. You know, it's just helping people survive. So we're we're launching a heat relief campaign here with AZ Hugs is is the nonprofit name the the project. Um, so I'm you know I'm going to keep running this homeless outreach program. I'm going to keep writing. You know, I, I got a new book that I started writing it really early works you know so not for the next couple of years but something I've just been kind of tinkering with but I'm going to keep doing outreach and keep you know writing and I don't know where the journey is going to take me you know but just keep keep following my passions and you know trying to spread love and in, in whatever ways I can well I want to thank you Austin for being with me today you know I've hosted over 200 shows and sometimes I grow weary in terms of just thinking, you know, whew, I'm tired. But yeah. talking with people like you, hearing your work, gives me the energy to continue doing what I'm doing. And I oh, want to thank wow. you for that. Thank for you. revitalizing thank you. me. Seriously, that is, uh-huh. <laughs> that really weeks me the moment, seriously, that yeah, I told you, you're making me feel all sentimentally. I'm, I'm sending you a virtual <laughs> hug. A virtual hug. I know, man. I need one, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. You, well, we've all been going through it, you know. We've all been going through yes, it. Yes, we virtual have. Hug to we you, have. Virtual hug to anyone listening, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. I yeah. want to thank you. I commend you. Like I said again, to me, you're a superstar in the making. And I wish you nothing but the best. I know that you're going to be out there doing the work that needs to be done. And you're going to be spreading the word through the power of poetry. And that is so important, man, because you reach people differently when you emote, when you share your soul. And again, you're my friend. And uh, I wish you a happy graduation. Thank you. I I wish you, you know, a happy, happy spring a happy trip yes. back home, you know, yes. and I just, mm-hmm. I just appreciate you so much. And I'm, I'm really glad, you know, that we've built this relationship over the years and I just feel really grateful. Yes. So thank you. Yes. Thank you again. Well, I will, I will to talk listening to you audience. Too, my friend. All right. Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> all right. You got, I know you got to get going. Go ahead. <laughs> to my listening audience, I want to say thank you again for tuning in. And as I share with you every time we're on there, that poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Take care, everybody. Until next time, I'm Michael Anthony Ingram. Goodbye. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.